the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by SpotTrack.com. Tons of brand new articles, thanks to all the great work from the guys this week. Uh, Scott Allen's even done a NASCAR primer. That gets started tonight, Sunday, February 5th. Um, you know, it's got some odds. It's got some Rookie of the Year candidates, the Dark Horse candidates. He's got, this, is the, this is by far the biggest NASCAR piece that's ever been on SpotTrack.com, so please read it. Because Scott worked his butt off on it. Um, we've got some all-star pieces. We've got some Pro Bowl pieces. Uh, we've got a quick update on the money that was lost for that fight between the Orlando Magic and the Minnesota Timberwolves. That's now live on the website. And I'll continue to do the NFL breakdown pieces of team by teams. I've got a franchise tag piece with some candidates and all the figures for that coming up in the next couple of weeks. And there's a big old Tom Brady financial review piece where not only do I give you the 12 contracts that he signed and what they all meant and what happened to them all and where they came from, but I did a quick mathematical exercise on each of those contracts to, to assess quickly what he might have left on the table at that point, at the time of signing, added it all up and threw a big number at the bottom of the piece of money that maybe he could have made in addition to the $333 million he actually did on the field. So there's plenty to read on spytrick.com and uh, plenty more to come with the approaching NBA trade deadline. Here's the deal for today. I'm going to discuss how we, how we evaluate players in SpotTrack. The market value system, the algorithm, um, the process, the thinking behind it, why it seems so one-tracked and not this evolved, multi-layered thing that you know shows a player where he could be if the cap was this or if certain players signed here. I, I get into all of it. And I, I'm trying to keep it as positive as possible because, uh, you know, full disclosure, and I'll say it again later, I'm completely aware of all the things we're not doing with it, and there's a reason behind it. So why do we give you the numbers we give you? What does it mean up or down? How come our hit rate isn't 100%? All that stuff's built into what I said in a couple of minutes here. So that's first, market value discussions. Um, Kyrie Irving traded obviously has to be next in our conversation. I'll give you the numbers on that, the trade piece, the trade assets, and what it might mean for the Mavericks going forward, for Kyrie going forward, and the Brooklyn Nets going forward. And then... What's coming next on SpyTrack? I'll bury the lead so you don't have to finish the podcast. It's the cap casualty piece. That's coming next on SpyTrack.com. So I'm going to be diving into position by position. All the various players who at least have a cap hit that could be moved off from, a trade, a release, even just a restructure if it matters, or even a couple of retirements that could happen over the next couple of weeks heading into the brand new 2023 league year for the NFL. That's coming up on the SpyTrack podcast. All right, I wanted to take a couple of minutes here to discuss our market values. There's always uh, some ups and downs and backs and forths with this, as we've been doing this now for the better part of a decade with most of our sports, um, primarily NFL and Major League Baseball. But every so often, we'll dabble in the NBA world and the NHL world. Uh, the reason with those two specifically that we do less is A, interest B, the max system, um, especially in the NBA, where Anybody who's above average or even slightly above average, the conversation quickly turns to max. And if it's not one team, it's another team. So that concept is slowly, you know, trickling back into these other sports and maybe even more so with the NFL, especially with five or six of these primary positions, something we've discussed quite a bit. I would even say it's expanding. I would even say now some of your non-primaries, right? Even the kicker. We just saw the kicker hit the top of the market, a max, essential max contract. What would that look like in the NFL? 
You know, is that a percentage of the salary cap in terms of the AAV? Is that should it be more based on the guarantee versus where it was three years ago, two years ago? There's a lot of ways and avenues to go here. We have one fairly simple, we believe fairly productive way to measure a baseline number, to give you a baseline average salary that the world can work off of, at least we can work off of. Um, and that's the discussion to have here. If I throw a number out there for Joe Burrow, and I tell you it's 44, and it is. Me personally, sitting down, whether I'm a Bengals fan, a non-Bengals fan, or his agent, I'm looking at that number and trying to poke a thousand holes into it because that's how this works, right? Your value is what somebody is willing to pay you. There are other outside factors and things that maybe we should do a better job of taking in with these numbers, but we don't. And here's why. I'd rather just let the math and the stats and the years and the contracts that have been signed around them do the talking initially. And then I sit here or have a conversation on Twitter or have a conversation in an article and I expand on that because that's the right way to do this. It is not enough just to say that one avenue, specifically you know, four or five formulas, mathematical formulas, should ever be enough to say that's what this player is worth. So with Joe Burrow, there's a leadership quality. There's an age factor, which we do take care of a little bit mathematically. But obviously, if we're going six years or eight years with Joe Burrow, or 10, a Patrick Mahomes type deal, there's the guarantee structure. There's the window of contention conversation. Should he have three or four years, you know, sort of backloaded a little bit so that they can the Bengals can continue to build? Blah, blah, blah. There's a ton of ways to, to start the discussion about a contract, especially a big contract, which is generally where a lot of the pushback comes, positive or negative. The, the point I want to get out there, and I'll continue to say it until I'm blue in the face, and yes, we have evolved this process over the time, over time, we'll continue to do so. But the point I want to get out there is we are putting out a productivity mathematical calculated baseline number. It's just basically what his numbers say out loud, his or her numbers say out loud to us. Then we have to work with it. Then we have to discuss it. Then we have to say, well, you know, what about, what if this happens? Or what if this player signs for this? All of that matters. It's all, it all matters. What about the intangibles? Of course. So it's a simple situation that gives us a, a talking point, a starting point. Do I believe Joe Burrow is going to sign for less than $50 million a year? I don't. I don't. Does that make me want to take down the $44 million valuation we have? Not even close. Because <laughs> here's the other way to look at this. And a lot of you look at what we put out there and say, well, they're wrong all the time. Why do they continue to do this? Because in our, in our, in our view of this, we're not trying to predict an end result, so to say. In fact, what we're doing is giving the end result a starting point. And if it ends up being damn close, then it's pretty fair to say that the team and player agreed to a fairly fair market contract based on the simple productivity valuation. And if the, he got $8 million more a year, then that's just the price, the going rate. Maybe four teams were involved. Maybe three other players from that same position signed a week prior or at the same time, or they were going to sign and, that, and then drove the price up. 
maybe he was the only inside linebacker on the open market. And from a free agent perspective, there's always a 20% premium in every single sport. It's just that there's, there's so many factors. Rather than try to overcomplicate this process, which I'm sure some other sites and apps and those have tried to do, maybe even continue to do, it is way better, in my opinion, to offer one formulaic approach for all of these sports. You know, different stats for different positions for different sports, blah, blah, blah. But the end result is always the same. It's a number. And from that number come further discussions, come deeper dives, come deeper analysis. So if you're looking at somebody and you think this is an absolutely terrible evaluation, ask yourself why. First of all, ask yourself how we got to this number. Because it's not me sitting there and pushing and saying, ah, I don't really like this player too much. He should be suppressed. It's not me doing that. That's the numbers doing that over the past two seasons. That's just blank, plain old productivity saying maybe not, not as great as we all think it should be. Doesn't mean he's not going there. Doesn't mean player X isn't going to the top of his positional market this offseason because of other factors. But from a number standpoint, games missed. A lack of takeaways if you're a defensive player. Uh, a, a bad yards per carry over the past two seasons if you're a running back. Certain things that aren't just, you know, stand off the TV type, type productivity. There's more to it. But there are reasons why a number is a number. And I stand by every number I put out there. I do it manually. I do it myself. There's a thought process to it. And none of the thinking is, I should make this player make less. I should make his agent look really bad right now. That's never what I'm doing. Nor is it the other way. I think this player should be at the top of the market, even though his number stays shouldn't be. So I'm just going to force the issue. The tool that we use to create these, these market values literally does not let me do it. I can't type in any kind of number. I can't change the amount of touchdowns a player has passed. It's, it's simply pick your variables and let's see where the math takes us. And I love it that way because it gives me a starting point. And it gives me a, it gives me a way to have a discussion, which is, oh, this was way more than I thought this was going to be, or this is way less than I thought this was going to be. Let's figure out why we're here. Why are we here? positive or negative. And then if he ends up getting 8 million more and goes to the top of the market, number one, clap your hands for the agent and player for getting it done. You know, maybe it's not in the best situation and that's how they got it done. But if you can get a perfect storm situation, God bless you. <laughs> right? We are not putting gospel out there by any means. I'm simply using one formula that is unchanged for the most part. And whenever we change it, we tell you, and it's simply a starting point. It's simply a baseline. You can call it a foundation. You can call it a bottom, a fair market value, however you want to assess it. I'm explaining it this way on purpose. I'm perfectly fine being wrong. And by the way, there are more than half of these that I end up publishing. I think to myself, no chance. There's no chance the team is going to get that player to get that price. There are multiple ones out there right now for the upcoming NFL offseason, multiple. Right, Many of the quarterbacks, the Herberts, the Hurts, they're, they're just not you know, at or about Mahomes' value. But Mahomes at $45 million now is value. So <laughs> he's dragging everybody else down. But when you stack up the numbers that Mahomes put up two years before his contract versus what Jalen Hurts has put up two years before his contract, they're very different quarterbacks. Even Joe Burrow, 
in the two years prior to his. He's got a Super Bowl and an AFC championship appearance. But from a numbers standpoint, from a big red total resume standpoint, he's under Mahomes from evaluation because the numbers just aren't there. Now, there's other factors in place. Should I put every single player up against the top paid player at their position? I often choose not to. Okay, because for what, for one reason or another, maybe that top of the market player, maybe I don't believe that Aaron Rodgers at fifty point two million per year is a variable type contract. Maybe I just think it's a contract that was paid to him because it was the the absolute only way to keep him for one more year, and those were his demands, and he wanted to get north of that fifty number, and not just at it, but north of it, and he wanted over a hundred million fully guaranteed at signing. And there were a lot that went into making that contract that way. There's a DeAndre Hopkins contract out there that essentially makes him 27 and change per year on the average scale. But it is absolutely a restructured, lower this cap hit, add two fake years, which he's never going to see, just to get that number there. And there's a Tyreek Hill conversation with how he got the 30 million. And I see this over and over. So if you think that I'm not at least analyzing everything that's happening around me to get to this number, you're wrong. I'm not just throwing baloney at a wall and hoping it's, it pays the top of the market, all right? But I'm also not purposely trying to get a player to the top of the market. The tool that we utilize and that Scott Allen has brilliantly built basically tells me who's in the related area from a production standpoint, right? Give me, give me 20 players that kind of look and smell like this from a productivity standpoint, and then I can decide, well, should this player be maxing out this group, this subset, or should they be maybe right in the middle of this subset? And then whatever the productivity says after that point is the number. So there's very little objectivity with this, very little. And, you know, you can look at most of our valuations and say, higher, 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 lower, lower, lower. And you're right. And that's all I want to say out loud here. All right? We don't change the process because Joe Burrow is badass <laughs> or he's he's good under pressure, so he should have a completely different formula than Ryan Tannehill, who is more of a regular season quarterback. We know that in our heads. Okay, We know that the intangible part of Joe Burrow is what's going to make him a $50 million quarterback because it's gotten him to Super Bowls. All right, Those things just all go together. You cannot be a certain type of player at, a, at that primary of a position and not demand the kind of money you demand. I get that. So just understand that, A, I'm aware that we are not, you know, we're not putting out a 99% hit rate on these things. I'm aware that there are plenty of other factors, the increase in cap, the schedule, whatever you want to put out there. Injury history, the type of running quarterback versus passing quarterback or pass catching wide receiver. We do utilize some stats for that, you know, but this is not a one-size-fits-all system, nor do I believe it should be. But it is a one-size-fits-all result. And what I'm, what I'm putting out there and what I'm sticking our neck out with is a baseline, is a fair market value. And when, if and when that player goes way north or way south of it, I'm fine being wrong. <laughs> I'm fine being wrong. That's what negotiations are for. But I'm more than happy to let the numbers talk and then to speak on them and speak above them and speak around them 
at what mitigating factors might come into place, like free agent markets, teams that are already up against the cap and have to deal with re-signing players that might have to structure differently or take even less to stick around. Other players on a current roster that have certain AAV guarantee structures that may impact what's happening. Those are not things I'm building into the mathematical equation. Those are things I'm going to discuss that may help, A, attribute to that, that number at some point, may even help bring a player down to that number when, it come, when it's all said and done. But just a, an over, oversight overview process as to where my head is when I sit down with our blank tool and say, all right, time to evaluate Justin Herbert. And it's not, I don't have a checkbox check that says zero playoff wins or zero Super Bowl appearances, okay? I simply start with what kind of quarterback he is from a productivity standpoint. And then we add the layers on above the baseline number that we get. That's it. Now, are we going to get to a point where we have multiple layers to this and I have a baseline number and then I have a logical number and then I have an if he wins the Super Bowl number? You can do that. The problem with this, and this is the final thing I say on this, is I have people that ask me every single week, well, what is Jalen Hurts' valuation now? And I believe that is absolutely an incorrect way to look at this. If you are judging somebody specifically on a week-to-week -week basis for their next contract, you're not doing him justice because you want to talk about mitigating factors, weather, opponent, the left tackle was out, the, the, the WR2 had a sprained ankle and was only going 75%. You want to talk about that. Now you're going down a rabbit hole that really nobody should ever get to with this stuff. There is something to a two-year eye test and just having it in your head. Well, damn, that player's worth it. Or that, that player's going to have to reset this market. Allow those things to happen because guess what? When the agents or agents sit down and they're discussing with teams in front offices and whatever, you know, PR people, this is the kind of conversations they're having, all right? Normal, well, did you see him make this kind of impact this year? Or, boy, it was pretty obvious that he, he got beat deep a couple of times and he wasn't able to keep up with speedsters. And These are real conversations that are pulled from tape, are pulled from reality, are pulled from just common sense eye tests. So it's not enough just to say the math says this, this is what he should be worth, nor should we ever attempt to do that, in my opinion. That's our take. That's how we're dealing it. It's subject to change down the road. But for now, for now, we are a baseline market value system with expert analysis after that. <laughs> so that's my final take. While we're here, we might as well talk about some of these numbers, right? I'm giving you all the, uh, the calculation BS. I might as well give you some of these numbers. So Jalen Hurts is a $44.2 million player. He's actually gone above Joe Burrow in our system. So you want something to, to talk about there. There's your opening statement. Um, do I believe that that's how this is going to shake out? I have no idea. All right. The, the Hertz Burrow Herbert situation is so vanilla and you can throw Lamar into this too. Maybe one player slash agent decides we don't give a rat's ass about 50 million. We'd rather go for 200 million guaranteed. And in order to do that, we had to drop down to 45 million a year and do an eight year contract. It's possible, right? It's perfectly possible. Uh, do I believe Joe Burrow should be higher paid than Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert? Yes, but is that, is that subject to change? What, how is our mind going to change if Jalen Hurts wins the Super Bowl next week? Is it going to be drastically different? Are we, 
all creatures of what have you done for me lately? Yes. You know, certainly on Twitter. That's the, that's the way of the world on Twitter. So there's going to be a lot of shifting mindsets. There's going to be a lot of people that look at Joe Burrow now and say, um, but in, and in not getting there, we're going to forget that he got there last year but the, and that he lost this year and that it's back to being Mahomes as the top of the leaderboard in all of our minds, right? So are we devaluing Joe Burrow because he's not in this upcoming game? No. And that's, that's what I'm saying, you know? It's not a what have you done for me this week situation when it comes to these contracts. Nor do I think the Bengals are treated that way, nor do I certainly believe the agents will treat it that way. So if Jalen Hurts becomes the new fresh thing because he wins the Super Bowl next week, it shouldn't automatically mean that, that that means he gets $51 million a year and Joe Burrow gets $50 million a year. I don't believe we should think that way. Some of you out there may be thinking I'm crazy. Winning, maybe to you, winning a Super Bowl should translate to dollars in the contract. It's fine. Everybody's going to be super rich in a couple of weeks. Don't worry. Everybody. Um, I believe Burrow should be ahead of this right now. Why, does, why is Hurts there? He's got a little bit more to him. He is a more versatile quarterback. I'm not sure that makes him trustworthy. You know, I think this is a situation where we can talk about how having those kind of numbers from a rushing capacity are more dangerous, maybe, you know, more liable to having a, a smaller contract. And that's probably the Lamar Jackson conversation in a nutshell and why we're not you know, Baltimore's not rushing to any kind of rash guaranteed contract situation with a player who has shown he can't stay healthy, unfortunately, because of the style of play that he plays. So 44-2 and two for Hertz, 44 on the dot for Burrow, 42-4 for Herbert, who took a bit of a step back this year, and I think there's an injury that could have impacted that. So that's where that stands. Lamar's down to about 41. Uh, he was at 42.5 to start the year, if I can remember off the top of my head. All this means, and again, I'm going to be as blatant as I can with this stuff. All this means is we've got four quarterbacks who are about to reset this market in, my, in some way, way or shape or form. Is it going to be another fully guaranteed contract, even if it's not at 50 or not at 200 million? It's possible. It's possible somebody takes 175 million fully guaranteed and says, this is the contract I want. Dak Prescott basically did that, you know, at three years fully guaranteed. And he's about to get a new deal soon, maybe even in the next couple of weeks as well. He's a name we have to start talking about again. You know, Burrow could look a lot more like Mahomes, even though the, I, I don't really trust the Bengals to do something that creative. And Jalen Hurts is going to be massively, massively front-loaded if we know anything about the Eagles' contracts. There's going to be at least two bonuses, I guess three or four. We're talking about a signing bonus and a couple of option bonuses. So just saying it out loud, and I expect Herbert to be more traditional, signing bonus, big base salaries, roster bonus that can be restructured in year two, things like that. Um, just saying this stuff out loud with four guys who play the same position, I'm, we're looking at four completely different scenarios in my head. Four things that I would never try to build into an, a market value tool and try to, to hand you exact replicas of what the contracts are going to look like. Now maybe you can understand why I say, just give me a number, and then I'll speak to that number, positively or negatively. What the number tells me here is I got four guys who are pretty damn close right now for different reasons. And team one might go here, and team two might go here, and team three might do this, and team four might say, we're not paying that in Baltimore's case, and he's going to be traded. Four very different scenarios for players with market values basically on top of each other. Uh, I want to talk Derek Carr quickly because I have a really good feeling he's about to get released in the next 10 days, and that's fine. There's a lot of ways to look at this, and I think uh, – 
I don't think Derek Carr would be disappointed to be released. And by the way, he has the power. He can say no to every single trade the Raiders try to put together, every single one. And then they're going to have to release him February 15th, I believe. Maybe not. Maybe they think that they can hold on to this guy and just force him to make a trade because that's just how it's going to work. When the guarantees kick in February 15th, be a little harder to trade him. Might be a little bit less compensation at that point in time. But I think that an outright release would be the best case scenario for Derek Carr, who can then walk into something close to $40 million a year, which is where he was on the dot, at more guaranteed, right? $40.4 million guaranteed set, set the lock in for the next year and a half on February 15th. I believe he can get two years fully guaranteed here on a brand-new contract with the Jets or the Panthers or the Commanders or something like that. So um, he's a close to $40 million quarterback still, even though, he didn't have the year that the Raiders wanted him to have, and clearly that was a showcase year, as you saw with a, what, week 13 benching or 14 benching. Um, we know where this is ending up at some point in time here. Nick Bosa. He's a $28.6 million player on our system, which is already enough to vault him past Joey and TJ and all the defensive out, you know, edge rushers who have gone here. Basically, he's staring at Aaron Donald, and I can put – Chris Jones in this conversation, who's actually, who's actually fair value is over $30 million a year. That's how productive Chris Jones is on a week-to-week, year-to-year basis. His name isn't brought up enough in these conversations, but he, he needs a deal. He's got a cap issue with uh, Kansas City, who obviously have to keep the train moving here. And he's going to need an Aaron Donald-type contract, maybe a little bit longer. But he's in that conversation. So we are, we are setting ourselves up here. Right? If I tell you we've got two defensive players around the 30 million mark, probably going to go north of it. We've got four quarterbacks approaching 50, probably a few going over that. We've got Daniel Jones and Geno Smith probably in the 30 to 35 range, and Derek Carr approaching that 40 million as well. Uh, it's going to be a massive offseason, massive, when you combine extensions and free agency and a Justin Jefferson contract that we haven't really talked about yet and a C.D. Lamb contract, which is going big, and an Andrew Thomas left tackle contract for the Giants to, to keep him what locked in for six more years probably. Uh, it's going to be a massive year. <laughs> so take these valuations with a grain of salt. Tell me which ones suck the most. I, I, I'm here for it. And I'm, I'm, I'm not just going to say sorry or oops, we missed on that one, or I'm just going to quit doing this. I'm going I'm to find out why. And I'm going to say, hey, I think CD's probably going $25 million a year. I think there's a really good chance Jerry Jones has to pay CD Lamb A.J. Brown's contract, or even more with the cap adjustment, even though I'm telling you right now, in our system, he's 22.5. So a lot of people look at that, that number and say, well, he's, what, you know, what is he, the, the ninth, tenth highest average paid wide receiver in football? That's probably not about right because he's the WR1. They traded the guy below him because they wanted to get him more action. You're right. All those things probably mean that last year and then this upcoming season are going to be massive productivity years for C.D. Lamb. So he's got to be paid accordingly. And that's what, if I'm his agent, that's what I'm saying. He's only started to unleash what he can be on this offense. And if you're going to lock in the quarterback long term, you might as well lock in his best option. So let's talk A.J. Brown, start at 25 a year and go from there. That's where this works. Two years ago, C.D. Lamb was not in that conversation because of Amari Cooper. Last year, he started to be in that conversation as he started to build up some confidence with Dak and Cooper Rush and start to separate himself as the clear number one option. 
And that's only going to expand upon that in 2023. So he's got to be paid either now accordingly or we'll wait until after 2023 and we'll do it the right way then. That's all. All right. That's the example of the conversations that I love to have with these market failures and why having the 2022.5 there for CD Lamb makes sense to me because it is a true microcosm snapshot of the past two seasons for whatever reason. Let's digest why it's here and let's, you know, let's talk about where it's going. Is it staying here? Is it dipping? Is it, you know, is he is his role going to be reduced in the next year? Where is this whole situation headed? There's so many outside factors that the conversations are better than the number. And that's how this will always be. So uh, take a look at the NFL market values. I'll tell you what, I'll put this out in the next newsletter, the next Spot newsletter. I'll link to it. I'll reference a couple of these. And uh, if you subscribe to our newsletter, please um, respond to me at Spot on Twitter. Let me know if I'm missing somebody you'd like to see evaluated. Let me know if you've got different thoughts, different ideas, and, and bring the heat. Don't just bring a yes or no, you suck. Bring the heat. Tell me why. Tell me why your player is crazily under or overvalued in our system. And I'll, and I'll either agree with you because I've already been thinking about those, those factors, or I'll tell you, I'm just not there. You're, uh, you're overthinking or, or inflating somebody's value based on your connection to the team or a fantasy situation or whatever it might be. But I love the conversation, so bring it at me. All right, on to the NBA. We're certainly going to have Keith and maybe Scott on later this week to dive into a ton of more NBA storylines because this is just the official start of the trade deadline period now. And that start is Kyrie Irving, who actually got a pay raise today, a nearly $2 million pay raise. Why? Because he had a 15% trade kicker in his contract, and he was officially traded to the, to the Dallas Mavericks today for what I consider to believe a pretty damn good package. Uh, Markeith Morris, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a first and two second round picks for a player on an expiring contract with a ton of baggage who has missed games every single season, but he can still really freaking play basketball. So slight overpay, maybe, if I'm grading this off the top of my head, which I absolutely hate to do, but just uh, just sitting here having some some connection with this whole situation as I've... Uh, kind of ramped up my NBA view in the past four or five years here to prepare for these kind of things. And I, I can tell you flat out right now, if you have not, if you've simply been an outside fan of the Brooklyn Nets and or Kyrie Irving, and, and maybe you've been caught up in the web of his off the court, you know, on Twitter things, and that's sort of the taste you have in your mouth right now, I'm here to tell you this specifically because I'm in the New York market and I've seen quite a few of these Nets games, especially since... Kevin Durant has been out of the picture and injured. Kyrie Irving has been playing some of his best basketball of the past five years. Mouth shut, absolutely doing his things. The teammates are gravitating to him. They are looking at him as a leader. They were doing, or that team was rounding into form and really holding court without an absolute Hall of Famer in Kevin Durant. And it's because Kyrie was stabilizing this ship. And I realized that that's a that's a phrase that not many of us ever thought we'd be saying with Kyrie Irving because of just how inconsistent and unstable he can be as, on a personal level. I want to poke a few holes in what some of you might be thinking right now. Uh, the first notion is, why the hell would somebody else take a chance on this guy? Well, it's that. It's exactly what I just said. Because when this guy is right, no, he's not, he's not driving to the basket you know, and getting there 99% of the time anymore. 
like he did when he first jumped into the league. He, he was absolutely one of the best slice and dice players in the history of the game for a long, long time there. The handle is still elite. He, he can still absolutely run the point as best as any, as good as anybody in the game to this day. And now he's with somebody who's maybe a 1A of that in Luka Doncic whenever he returns from injury. So that's, the, that's all you need to know is that this dude is still an elite player who can stabilize a roster, who can run an offense. I mean, defense, I'll, I'll let somebody else discuss that. But um, that's that. So the fact that he found a trade partner or Brooklyn found a trade partner in 11 minutes after his demand really shouldn't surprise you. It, it just shouldn't, okay? The second thing is this. And it's the trade demand. And it's been something we've mentioned quite a bit because most sports are now dealing with this. Uh, there are many of channels and ways to do this and get it out there and become the basically the one, you know, the top fold story on any sports edition, if I'm referencing the old school newspaper. And that's what Kyrie Irving did 24 hours ago. He basically put himself out there and had his agent and a very, very well-connected set of agents push out to the world and the woges in the world and basically say, okay, we didn't, get the, we didn't get the offer we were hoping for on an expiring contract. So July 1st is, is approaching, and the restrictions to when we can get the money from Brooklyn are, very, very, are dwindling. Nor do we love this Brooklyn situation anymore. right? The Harden stuff already flamed out. Katie's injured again. Ben Simmons doesn't look like he's ever going to round into a true asset. You know, and he, he certainly he's he's done more this year than I thought he would with the the mental side of things. It does seem like he's gotten himself right in that regard. But Brooklyn as a whole, Seth Curry's been backwards. Joe Harris is slowly starting to come back, but just not the sharpshooter he was at one point in his career. There's just I think there's a lot of things going outward and not inward in Brooklyn. And you know, not to bury the lead, but I think Katie's request out of there is is going to be soon, possibly even in June. So I, I get Kyrie basically saying, you have to offer me the perfect contract or I'm not going to stay for this anymore because he has every right in the world to say, I'm literally holding this ship up right now myself. And the second I leave, the hole is going to be there and you're going to sink. So <laughs> I, uh, I'm with him on this. And I have to be objective because there's been 11 times in the past two years where I, I I can't even get close to being with this guy or aligned with this guy or this guy's thinking. And I just think he's, uh, there, there have been certain times where he's kind of going out there to be out there. Well, that's not, that's not been the case for the better part of three months here. It's been all basketball, all business, and this is too. It's all business. They handed him a contract offer that was not fully guaranteed, and it sounded like year three or four, whatever, whatever the terms were going to be, the back end of this contract were tied to playing time, uh, championship victories, which is insane for a team sport with 32, you know, that's an insane trigger to have to, to have to get over to get a guarantee in your final year. And, you know, he's not 40 years old. He's 30. He's going on 31 here in a couple of weeks. There's plenty of basketball left in this guy if he wants it. And you can leave the if he wants it out the door for now because it doesn't matter in this negotiation. The Dallas Mavericks aren't thinking about that when they're doing this deal. They're just not. They're looking at the player who's been playing for three months, basically holding court for a team that's missing their superstar, 
and recognizing that's exactly who, who, who we're going to be right now with Luca out. We need that guy just to keep us in contention right now. And then when Luca comes back, maybe this is lightning in a bottle. Maybe this is Kyrie and Luca, the next best backcourt. And if not, we'll, we'll, we'll cut our losses and we'll sign and trade him this, this July or we'll keep him for a year. We'll, we'll, we'll sign him, keep him for the, the restricted year and get him out the door in 18 months or so. I'm I'm totally for Dallas in their situation, which I think is very, very close to what the Brooklyn situation has been. And I'm totally for Kyrie saying, I can't do it. All right, I'm going to go better myself yet again. Something he tried to do this past offseason and ended up opting into his contract because, A, Brooklyn couldn't find the trade partner and or he didn't have the contract offer out there that he wanted to, to opt out and go get it. So, look, he had to mend some fences. There's no question about that. And I think we're closing in on a situation where, from a basketball standpoint, he's at least a reliable asset. Clearly, he was just traded in a day, okay, for a very sound package. This was not a, we know what we're getting here, and we're not going to give you what you think you deserve. In my opinion, this is either fair or slightly leaning towards Brooklyn here with what they received back. Now, they'll have to pay to keep some of those players around, and there's some decent draft pick aspects down the road, but... Um, I think this is exactly what we have to say, which is business is business. And Kyrie demanding a trade is not the, the latest in his craziness, all right, if I want to be completely blunt, even though we can joke about that. This is the latest in him taking care of his, the business of basketball for his world. He's going to a situation that I think he, he feels like he can get paid in. And I guarantee he's had those conversations with Mark Cuban already before the trade. All right. He understands that if he can play ball with Luca, literally, there's money for him as a one-two punch. And by the way, from a basketball standpoint, I think that's pretty damn exciting. So this was not a team I had in my short list. I think I, I was thinking more of the LA teams. Um, I think the Keith Smith mentioned the Miami Heat to me at one point. I thought the Minnesota Timberwolves could use a shakeup with a player like this. A lot of younger guys, a lot of big men. Could you shake? Could you move D'Angelo Russell out of there? Bringing a guy like this just to change it up, a little change of pace. But this makes sense to me, especially with Luca missing some time here, and you being able to throw Kyrie out there right now and say it's your team, go. And then when Luca gets back, then it's about how do we make all this work? And that's way easier said than done. And, and Kyrie's had to do that in the past with a lot of really great players. Another reason to bring him in, by the way. I think there's a chance this really works out, and I'm rooting for it. I'm rooting for Dallas to, be, to become back and get back into contention. They've had their ups and downs for the past couple of years. They've been in the thick of the postseason, though. And Luke is a player who I, I think deserves the win. Uh, I don't want him to be the next iteration of Russell Westbrook, where it's just fake stats, you know, and it's just triple doubles left and right and 50 point nights and, you know, 50 point nights with losses, which is something we've become adverse to seeing now with a lot of these superstar players. So I, I give. Both sides here a lot of credit. I think it's the right business move to get out. I think it's the right business move for the Dallas Mavericks to bring him in right now. And we'll see if there's any kind of extension right now. I will. Um, because Keith Smith has mentioned this to me too, and I'll have him come on and reiterate this fact at some point down the next few days. Uh, it does not have to be a situation where Dallas waits on this. If they don't want to deal with off-season Kyrie and the hot stove that comes with it, they can work on an extension right now that – is going to offer Kyrie less money, you know, to, to, to sort of Miles Turner him and re-up him in 2022-23 and then start that extension immediately versus waiting until the next offseason. 
But there's some money built into this that's the, that could make it possible. Now, does Kyrie want to wait and max out completely? Most likely. Mo you know, most of the elite players understand this stuff and are told, given the correct advice, to go that route. But maybe just as a way to deflate the, P the, the PR side of this, something Kyrie could certainly use, you just get it done. We just saw this happen in hockey, right? Bo Horvitz left the Vancouver Canucks for the Islanders on a trade last week. Literally minutes before I hopped on the microphone, he locked into an eight-year, $68 million extension with the Islanders, something they probably didn't want to do. But after the compensation they gave up in the trade, understanding what this player can be for the next four to five years, it's just something they felt obligated to do. So maybe that's the, maybe that's the move here. Maybe Mark Cuban says, let's get this done right now, Kyrie, so that the summer stuff goes away, so that it's not six months of, is Kyrie staying? Is Kyrie going? Is it going to be a sign-and-trade? Let's just get this done now. Now, look, there's no restriction. They could trade him tomorrow if they sign him today. But at least it would, it would show a, a foot in the sand, you know, of this, this is our guy not just for the next three months. We're not just here to save face while Luke is hurt. We're not just going to give it a trial run and then give up on it. We're going to sign this guy and make this a two- to three-year thing, you know, before, while Kyrie's still young, early 30s, and see if this is the one thing that can lift Luka to the next level. So I, that would be a recommendation for me. I think it's a great idea from Keith, who brought it to my attention. You're going to have to get some compromise from Kyrie Irving. So easier said than done. We'll have Keith on soon to break down all these numbers. But all, all you need to know is, as of now, Kyrie Irving's on an expiring contract with the Dallas Mavericks. He gets a nearly $2 million raise with the trade kicker. So his compensation jumps up into the 38.9 level. There are some more... Uh, not likely to be earned incentives that could factor in at the end of the season. Uh, he's making pretty good coin, but you know, not top of the market coin as of now. We'll see if he can get there. We'll see if he can get there. All right, and my final piece today, it's just a quick heads up. I've, uh, I've done the off-season work for the NFL. I've done the positional breakdowns for the NFL. I've started to do some of these team-by-team -team breakdowns. I'll continue to do more of those, but my next big, uh, big piece is gonna be the roster ball move. Some cap casualties that I think are coming for some pretty notable teams, right? I've got some Tampa Bay Buccaneers on this list for sure. I've got some Dolphins on this list. A couple of Chiefs, a uh, couple of Cowboys, a whole bunch of Tennessee Titans who I think are maybe stepping back this offseason. We are uh, – I'm always kind of treading lightly with this piece, and sometimes I put it out way earlier than this. I just think uh, – I think we're at a situation now where I can be a little bit more calm and, and protected with this because I, I – I don't want to be taking jobs away with an ugly piece that I put out there as a hit piece. It's not that. I've done the work now. I've, done, I've, I've at least touched every single team in some form this offseason from a financial review standpoint. So I have a decent handle on where things are headed. You're going to start to see some rumors come out from the beat reporters that follow these teams closer than I do of some names that are at least in consideration because of cap hit, because of injury, because of whatever. I generally pull from those, right? And I have, like I said, I've got a list already. I'll, I'll add to it as I see some rumors pop up that make sense to me from a financial standpoint. So that's coming probably midweek. It'll be positionally based. I'll give you a bunch of quarterbacks that I think could be moved on from Derek Carr, obviously the top of this list. Tannehill will be on that, on that list. Jordan Love um, is on that list, at least for now. Aaron Rodgers, certainly on that list from a trade perspective. Zach Wilson. And I'll go, I'll go beat by beat position-wise with, uh, with who at least could have a chance in some capacity, whether it's a release, 
a trade, some retirement possibilities still hanging out there. And uh, just the, the the price to move before June first, you know, after June first, things like that, and then maybe a prediction here or there. But that's uh, that's next on the docket. If you uh, if you want to contribute, I'm up for it. Let me know names you think. What are you hearing locally? What do you think after reviewing cap tables? I know a lot of you. Uh, you know, it's not just me out there reading these things. You tell me at Spotrek on Twitter. Who do you think is going to be next to uh, the next big name to fall off? a notable NFL roster in the next, in the coming weeks because we are approaching March 15th, the 2023 league year start. So it's here. Franchise tags in 15 days, and then we're off and running. So that's coming. The roster bubble cap casualty piece on spytrick.com. Keith Smith's been doing great work on there as well. He'll have more trade deadline updates as we approach it, and he's doing a Kyrie Irving piece as we speak. So we'll have some reading and some more Keith Smith on here to break down the Kyrie move and maybe he can counteract some of the things I just said. But for my book, it's good business both ways, in and out. And Brooklyn is a sinking ship that is probably about to lose Kevin Durant, too, in the next couple of months. That's probably the next big chip to fall. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trade Podcast. Mm-hmm.